you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. So many of you have been here. I have been here, Aaron and I have been here about five years, and uh, we had our, our son Foster here. And so all of you, many of you have had the chance to uh, watch us um, try and figure out what it means to have kids, um, all, all in front of you. And, and I get to share some stories about that. And what I've discovered most recently, the thing that I'm learning that most of you, many of you probably already know, um, or maybe you have a much better solution than I have for this problem, um, uh, what I've discovered is that parenting a three-year-old is, is kind of all about trying to like match wits with a toddler. Um, it's really about trying to outsmart somebody. Um, at least that's how, how I see it. <laughs> As you can tell, it's, it's going really well. <laughs> um, and so one of the ways that when Foster was a little smaller, um, we outsmarted him, or I felt that I outsmarted him, was by giving him um, false choices. Um, anyone who's a parent knows, probably knows about false choices. I know a lot of teachers know about false choices. And the idea is that you give your child uh, two choices that you're 100% okay with them choosing, right? You only give them two choices. And so for me, a lot of times it's, it's getting close to being time for Foster to go to bed. And so we'll say, okay, Foster, I need you to make a choice. Uh, would you like to play chase with me before we go to bed? Or would you like to read a book before we go to bed? And, and either way, it ends with what, right? We go to bed. We go to bed. That's the, that's the idea. And when he, was, when he was little, he would choose one of those things, and so we'd play chase. And I'd say, okay, now what's it time for? And he'd say, well, it's time to go to bed. And I was like, yes, like we've won. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I thought, all right, I'm a, I'm a good parent. We've figured this out. But of course, many of you might know that it didn't take very long for him to realize that just because he agreed to one of those two options, it, it didn't mean that he actually had to do it. <laughs> um, because now what happens is he'll make a choice. He'll say, do you want to play chase and then go to bed or read a book and then go to bed? And, and he'll say, I want to play chase. And so we'll say, okay. So we'll run around, we'll play chase, and I'll say, all right, what's the time to do now? And he says, it's time to read a book. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> right? And, and what he figures out is that now we've got to figure something else out. And so um, now I've, I've transitioned a little bit to a, a slightly more direct kind of confrontation um, with, with Foster when he's doing something that I don't like him to do or he's not moving quickly enough to do something I want to do is I'll count to five. And for now, this is working really good. You know, if I just start counting and he just snaps to attention. Um, and that's going to work really awesome until he realizes that I don't always have the, the best idea of what's going to happen when we actually get to five. <laughs> uh, but but it's, it's working now. Um, I think what, um, sorry, what Foster doesn't realize when we give him choices or when we ask him to go to bed or, or to eat his vegetables or, or whatever it is, um, what he doesn't realize is that the choices that we give him um, most of the time are really for his own good. And parents think this and say this all the time, and, and I'm no different. I tend to think that the things I ask Foster to do really are for his own good most of the time. You know, they're the best choices for him, or our family, uh, or his future, and sometimes they're also the best choices for where I am at the moment. <laughs> um, 
What he doesn't realize is that his, his limited freedom, and this is growing up, this is natural, he doesn't realize that his limited freedom is, is intended to help him make good choices. Um, I try as a parent to only give him uh, good choices to make um, because someday when he grows up, uh, I hear, um, <laughs> it's going to be up to him to decide um, to make his own choices, and he's going to have available to him all the possible options, all the good choices, and all the medium choices, like most choices are, and all the not-so-good choices. Um, I think, and now more than ever before, when Foster grows up, the whole world is going to be up to him. Um, one thing that I think has changed, and, and maybe we didn't even realize it was happening, um, but in the last uh, 50 years, uh, and definitely in the last 100 years, um, we began living in an age of just unprecedented freedom and choice. Um, there was a time when people were born and they only had a few options about what uh, might happen in their life. But now, like, we all have more freedom about more things than we know what to do with. We're, we're like Foster, and when Foster grows up, it's going to be even, even more. He's going to be able to decide every little piece of his life, you know, um, it's, it's unprecedented. We have freedom. We have choices that our uh, grandparents, I don't care what generation you're in, you have choices today that your grandparents never imagined they would have. Um, we get to choose where we live, our location at any minute. We can live pretty much anywhere we want. We get to choose what we do for a living. We can do pretty much anything we want to do for a living. Um, as students are, are growing up and graduating high school, you get to choose if you're going to go to college or tech school or if you're going to go into the workforce and, and what field you want to pursue. And as long as you can uh, take out enough debt or raise enough money, you can go do whatever you want. You can learn and study to become whatever you want, wherever you want. We get to choose um, today. We have the freedom to choose which information, what, what our sources of information are. Uh, you know, my, my parents, when they were a kid, there were only a few uh, TV networks, and those networks, they kind of told you what the news was, and you had to either take it or leave it. But, but today, um, you can create your, whole, uh, your own personal newspaper, right, that only includes articles that agree 100% with what you think and, and isolates and cuts out everything else that you might disagree with. We live in a world where we can choose our own entertainment. We have full freedom to do that, you know. Um, as a family, uh, you go home, and if you're going to watch TV or whatever, everybody can go and bring their device into their own room and watch their own show. Or even they can sit together and put headphones in. We can all enjoy exactly what we want to enjoy. We get to decide where we spend our attention, where we spend our money, where we spend our time. Um, my generation and a, few, and a few older generations, too, are, are obsessed with the freedom that we have over what we eat, right? Uh, we think all the time about, oh, I am this kind of diet, or I don't ever eat that, or I avoid eating this, and I only eat that, and it's great. We get to choose everything that we do, uh, what we eat. We get to choose our, our ethics. We get to choose uh, every piece of our lives. Our, our lives are kind of a blank slate, we're told, and, and we get to make every decision, and it's all up to you. Uh, nobody's grandpa or grandma is going to tell you how to live your life anymore, uh, and there's a lot of freedom with that, um, but it's, it's a little scary, too, um, because I think in a time today is a time that we have more freedom than maybe any generation in history, right? Everything we do is up to me. And what's amazing to me as somebody that's coming of age in that time is that in the middle of this unprecedented and unimaginable and just 
the whole world is open to us freedom. Um, people that I talk to are less satisfied with their lives. Um, we can choose to do anything we want. We can go wherever we want. We can work at doing whatever we want. We can raise our kids however we want. We can eat however we want. We can live however we want. And it seems like um, most of us uh, think we're not doing such a great job of that. <laughs> um, we believe we can, we can do whatever we want. And, and for most of us, we're more anxious about our lives. We're less satisfied about the choices that we make. We're more depressed. The statistics show that um, we're living in a time with the more depression and anxiety. Um, the suicide rates are, are higher than, than just about any other time. And here we are with all this freedom, all this choice, all this uh, luxury, really. And, and we don't know what to do with it because freedom is, is great, Freedom is awesome. Freedom is wonderful. We're made for freedom, but it leaves us constantly wondering and constantly second-guessing if we really are making the right choice. Is that diet really the right thing for me? Is that thing my doctor told me to do really the best treatment? Is that food really the best thing? Is that career really the best thing? Is this relationship really the best thing for me? And we're constantly second-guessing ourselves and asking, am I doing the right thing? Am I raising my kids the right way? Am I treating my aging parents the right way? Because it's all up to us. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. And, and I think we wonder, you know, are we making the right choices? Am I on the right track? And this question to me, I just, I hear this from people all the time. How do I know that I'm making the right choices? How do I know that I'm on the right track? And if I'm not, how do I get there? Because I've been given the freedom to do whatever I want. And increasingly, um, we're feeling like freedom to choose is worthless unless there's something worth choosing. And, and though we stand at a, a unique time in history where we have more freedom than ever before, um, it reminds me a whole lot of a story from Scripture, um, from that book of Deuteronomy, right? The last book of the Pentateuch. Um, there's a group of people that reminds me a whole lot of, of us. And just to give you a little, uh, little lead up, if you, you don't know the story of the Old Testament, right? The First five books of the Old Testament, they tell the story of the creation of the world. Uh, they tell the story of where it all went wrong and, and the pain and sin and evil and the trouble and the bad things that we do to each other. Uh, but then they uh, introduce a little bit of hope. In the book of Genesis, a little, a little light shines down of hope that maybe something could be better. Uh, God chooses an individual and he tells this man, his man, this man's name is Abraham, he tells Abraham that he's going to use Abraham to make a great nation, and that great nation is going to have one purpose, and that purpose will be to bless the whole world. Uh, God says, I will bless you so that you can bless the whole world, so that the world can get to know who God is again. God chooses Abraham, and, and the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, tell the story of that family. Uh, they tell the story about how uh, even though they constantly make mistakes, God keeps keeping his promise to them. And Abraham, he has kids, and they become, uh, they have kids, and they become this huge group of people. 
Uh, and due to um, some circumstances we won't get into, they wind up living in the land of Egypt. And, and this group of people in, in the church we call the Israelites or the Hebrews or, or later the Jewish people. And, and so here they are. They're living in Egypt and they're growing. They're multiplying. They're making more uh, little children of Abraham. And the, the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, gets worried. Um, just like people sometimes do today. He gets worried that this large group of people is going to grow and overwhelm him. He gets afraid of them. And so what he does is he does the same terrible things people do today. He cracks down on them. He enslaves this group of people. He uh, hurts them. He does terrible things to them. And God decides to to save his people. He sends a, a man named Moses to come in and help them escape from slavery. And they do, right? The book of Exodus tells the story of how God's people escape from slavery. And then they wander in the desert for 40 years, uh, just to set the stage. So you're your grandparents, to, to get where we are in Deuteronomy, imagine this, your, your grandparents were slaves, your parents were slaves, and you've lived your whole life living hand-to-mouth as a desert wanderer. And as they wandered through the desert, all God's people did was they went where God told them to go, and they ate the food that God gave them for 40 years, right? So imagine your life. You've never tasted freedom in any meaningful way ever. Your grandparents and your parents we're slaves. You are a desert wanderer. And now um, this promise is about to come true because God promised, right, to make a nation out of Abraham, a nation that will bless the whole world. And so in Deuteronomy, the whole book of Deuteronomy is one big long speech that Moses gives uh, to this group of people, to these uh, children of slaves and desert wanderers as they stand alongside um, the Jordan River. And so here you are. We're all here. The Jordan River's there. Here's the desert. This is where we've lived our whole lives. And over there is um, one of the most abundant pieces of farmland in, in the world at the time. Uh, the Bible describes it as a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a way of just emphasizing the abundance. And so here you are, you've lived in a desert your whole life, hand to mouth, and you're about to cross this river and, and receive this beautiful, perfect land. You're going to go from being a follower your whole life, uh, the child of a slave, to a farmer, right, that's building your new life, that's uh, cultivating the ground, that's starting a small business and existing in a town and planting roots in a location. It's a totally different, it's a totally different world. And if that's you, uh, here you are, right? You're, you're standing at the edge of this promised land. There's conflict ahead. You don't know what's coming. There's lots of uncertainty ahead. No longer will uh, God give you food hand-to-mouth every day, but, but there's also just unprecedented freedom. Freedom that you nor your parents nor your grandparents had ever experienced or ever known. Uh, so, you know, you're this group of people. You're all standing on the edge of a whole new way of life. And the book of Deuteronomy is... <clears throat> Moses' way of preparing them for what's about to happen. So you're standing on the river, and Moses preaches this sermon. Uh, and we have it recorded in Deuteronomy. And he does two things. He, he tells them the story of where they came from. He says, don't forget that once you were slaves in Egypt and that God brought you here. And he says, uh, this is, then he gives them the law. He says, this is how you can live in community in a way that um, lines up with who God is and that blesses your neighbor and that, that leads to good places. So he says, here's the story and here's the law. And then uh, Moses says this over and over again in Deuteronomy chapter 11. 
uh, verse 18 through 21. He says this and similar things like it over and over again. It's like halfway through, a quarter of the way through, a little bit through the sermon. He pauses to say something like this. And this is what he says. He says, fix these words of mine. And he's talking about this speech that he's giving right now. He's talking about what we have, the Bible here in Deuteronomy. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Uh, And I didn't know this when somebody told me it was so cool. There are Orthodox Jews today that take little copies of Deuteronomy and they put them in boxes and they literally do this. They tie them to their wrists and foreheads as a reminder, as a way to be faithful to what God's word says. says, bind them on your foreheads. And then it gets important. He says, teach them to your children. He says, talk about them. These are my words, these commands, this story. Talk about this story when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. As many as the days are as, the, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So, so here you are. You're about to receive more freedom than you've ever experienced in your whole entire life, than your grandparents and your great-grandparents ever experienced. And Moses says this. He says, use this freedom to build something great. And how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to do it by coming back to these words as often as possible, by not forgetting where you came from by not forgetting what the right choice is. Um, The Bible and and Deuteronomy here especially, um, a lot of times when we read Scripture as English readers, we see the word you, and if we're good, um, you know, we're trying to do what God's Word says, we see the word you, and we think that it means me. Uh, But one of the most important things that I ever learned about the Bible, and I want to pass on to you, uh, the most important word in all of Scripture is the word y'all. Uh, it's, it's an ancient English word. Uh, they say it a lot in the South. Can you say y'all with me? Y'all. y'all. Let's try that again. Y'all. y'all. All right. And, and if you start reading uh, the Bible with this word in mind, it's going to change the way you think of Scripture because most of the Bible, uh, when it says you, and we naturally think me, it actually says uh, y'all. It's second person plural. We don't say y'all around here, so it doesn't work. But what Moses is trying to say is that the Bible is meant for y'all. And he commands them. He says, if you want to find the right choice, uh, y'all got to come back to the story together. Uh, God told them and, and every generation like them, that's why we have it preserved, every generation that stands on the edge of unprecedented freedom, unprecedented choice, and all the confusion and all the joy and all the uh, enjoyment and all the pain that comes with that. He told every generation like that, he says, come back to these words, y'all. Read them together. Talk about them together. Live them out together. Write them on your door frames. Talk about them along the road because freedom to choose is worthless unless there's something worth choosing. And so Moses gives them something to choose. And we believe as Christians that our God gives us something to choose. He gives us a place to come back together. Moses says, if you want to choose the right thing, read this book together. Come back to the story together Tell and retell the stories. Read it with your friends and your kids and your parents. 
So as they prepared to receive this unprecedented grace and freedom, this unprecedented choice, as they got ready to build for themselves a new life as God's free and chosen people, this story um, that Moses tells, preserved in this book and, and retold generation after generation, gave them a way to choose what kind of people they wanted to be, if they were going to be God's people or not. So for us, and I don't remember what I got on this next slide. Oh, there we go. Yeah, a chance to choose to come back to the story together. Because God's people from the very beginning chose to remain in his words together. For the first uh, 1,600 years of the church, the only way that you could ever hear the story of Scripture was in a group. Uh, you had to read it together. We didn't have uh, books that we could carry with us everywhere we go. And, and the first Christians, uh, they did this. They came back to these words over and over again. They read it. They heard God's word together because the Bible, it was meant to be read together. The people that carried this book to us, the only reason we have it today, uh, carried it around and used it to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to spur each other on encouraging each other to use their freedom to make something beautiful together. Reading scripture together is about, and talking about it together, is about choosing uh, to build our lives on something bigger than my thoughts and my ideas and my plans and my whims and that one article I read one time. Because we need each other. So we've got to start reading together. Um, for, for many of us, this is new. Um, I didn't grow up uh, talking much about faith in my home. Um, and, I, and we did a little bit, and I'm sure my dad always listens to this podcast, my mom too, and we talk about it now. But, but growing up, I, I was a little uncomfortable talking about faith. We went to church together. We read scripture once a week, but, but that was it. When we went home, it just wasn't something we talked about. And I don't think I'm alone. For many of us, talking about our faith with other people is really hard. Uh, even people in our own families. Uh, those of us that do read scripture, you know, we generally read it and think about it in private. And we only occasionally share what we read. And, and that one person that's always sharing what we read, we're a little afraid of them, right? <laughs> uh, but we need each other to read this book. Uh, so here's my challenge to myself and to you is, is this month as we approach Easter, um, I talked about finding somebody to keep you accountable and reading scripture regularly, but, but find somebody to actually sit down and read scripture with you. Um, sit down and read it aloud. And even if with your one or two other people, uh, you're far closer to how this book was meant to be read. Find somebody to start reading uh, scripture with you. Because you'll find that as you do that, you become more and more comfortable just by speaking these words out loud to somebody that you know. You'll be more and more comfortable talking about what God is doing in the text. And, and that leads to what God is maybe doing in your life and in your relationships. Uh, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is, is join us when we come together to read. Uh, this, this Good Friday is a chance to do this. We're going to read a large portion of Scripture together. And as you go, I encourage you to talk to people you know about it. Uh, next time we offer a small group, there's a group of us that are reading through a portion of the Old Testament together, and it's a great way to find relationships with each other. Keep your eyes open for chances uh, to read with others, because when we read together, when we talk about what God's Word says together at home and at work and with our family and with our friends and, and even with our church, um, it's not always easy. Uh, it's uncomfortable. 
But when we do, we'll find that the questions that I had about what a passage of Scripture said are the same questions somebody else had, or maybe somebody else has a better insight into that. We'll find ourselves no longer alone and isolated in our struggles. We'll discover that we have the same fears and the same problems and the same dreams, and we wrestle with the same choices. We'll find that we have people to help us make the hard choices of life, to challenge us when we're not following so faithfully, to help us stay on the right path, to give us help. And and we might even find ourselves surrounded by people that need us to help them get to know who God is. May we approach this y'all book together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.